coaches, what is going on? You're tuned in to keep your pads down. We are terrorizing QBs and bailing out your DBs. And whether you're a longtime listener or this is your first time to check us out, thank you so much for giving us a listen today. Episode number 131 of the podcast. Hope you guys had a great Easter weekend. I saw several of y'all's post-Easter church service picks, and I got to say, most of you guys were looking pretty sharp, so hats off to you. But uh, probably what I enjoyed the most was seeing everyone's pictures of what they had on the grill this weekend. Uh, I guess my invite to, to y'all's places for Easter lunch got uh, lost in the mail. That's what we can blame it on. But anyway, I had a great weekend here with the fam uh, in Texarkana. I uh, went to church, uh, had brunch on Sunday afterwards, probably my favorite meal, uh, by the way, with some friends of ours, and then had an egg hunt with the kids. And so it was a great weekend. And now we're ready to kick off our latest episode of KYPD with Coach Jake Menard. But first, I want to give a shout out to our two sponsors who we are partnering with for this season of the podcast, with the first one being our guys at Go Edit Graphics. Now, Go Edit Graphics is really cool. It allows any coach to create custom graphics from their library of templates in a matter of minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, to name a few. Platform is easy, it's affordable, and no design skills are needed. GoEdit Graphics is a great way to showcase all your sports and athletes, and subscriptions are for 12 months and include unlimited graphics. Also, if you check our Twitter feed today and see the graphic that we posted with this episode link for Coach Menard, that entire graphic was created by me in just a few minutes with GoEdit. I picked a template and the pictures I wanted to use, changed the colors and the text of what I wanted the graphic to say, and in just a few minutes, bam, I'm done. So the process is super easy and it's user-friendly. And like always, mention keep your pads down when you are ordering and receive $25 off your showcase yearly package. Highlight your athletes with custom-made graphics in less than two minutes with GoEdit Graphics. Next up, coaches, you're no doubt doing things this spring to better yourself as a coach. Maybe you're reading some books, you're going and visiting other uh, coaching staffs, attending clinics, or maybe even listening to podcasts like this one. Well, those are all great, but you should also do what I do and head over to Our Coaching Network, create an account, and have access to quality live clinics going off every week, all of which are added to a library that can be accessed at any time. This week on Our Coaching Network, last night, actually, they had uh, a defensive line clinic that is available right now to members. And tonight, there's an offensive clinic going on uh, on run game progression. And then tomorrow night, they'll have an O-line clinic with Utah Offensive Line GA, Bill Weber. So get on over there today. Create your account now. Subscriptions are super affordable. You can even sign up for a free week. And you can cancel at any time. So start connecting with and learning from coaches all across the country today with our coaching network. All right, so today we are talking with Coach Jake Menard, as I already mentioned. Uh, he is currently the defensive line coach at Ursinus College in Collegeville, Pennsylvania. Uh, coach came to Ursinus this winter after spending last season as an offensive GA at Virginia Military Institute, uh, where he helped the Kedets to a 6-5 and five record. Prior to coming to VMI, Coach Menard spent the 2020 season at Hamline University as a defensive line coach after spending the 2019 season in his first stint as a defensive GA at Virginia Military Institute. Coach Menard got his coaching start as a student assistant at Shepherd University up there in West Virginia, where he helped the Rams win a conference title and qualify for the Division II playoffs in 2017. Today, Coach Menard and I talk about what they've been focusing on this spring and their practices, including their everyday drills, some coaching cues, and points of emphasis for his guys 
on the defensive line. We also cover pass rush and the advantages and challenges that come with coaching Division Three football. Well, we got a ton of great stuff to get to today with Coach Menard, so let's get started. Here is Coach Jake Menard on episode number 131, Keep Your Pads Down. Coach Menard, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight in the middle of spring ball, no less. And I uh, just want to uh, welcome you to the podcast and thank you for joining us tonight. Hey, Coach, appreciate you having me on. I owe, uh, owe this podcast a lot during the whole COVID craziness. You know, started binge listening to the show pretty heavily, especially during the workouts. So uh, definitely lost a few of the COVID LBs because of the, because of the show. So glad we were able to make this work. Yeah, you know, looking back, the the quarantine was kind of like, I guess, the golden age of podcasts, right? Because everybody was listening and I had this unlimited amount of time to, you know, record podcasts, to edit. I mean, it was like that kind of became my new job almost. And so I was I was definitely um, listening to a bunch of them throughout the day as well. And I found a lot of cool podcasts and and, and really was able to get a lot of great guests during that time because, you know, everybody's kind of doing the same thing. We're all sitting around and trying to figure out what's next and what to do. So yeah, that that's been kind of a common thing as I've talked to people that a lot of people found this podcast and other podcasts during the quarantine. Well, you are from Maryland, crab cakes and football, baby. And now, now <laughs> that's what you do. And now uh, they're in Pennsylvania at your sinus college, which is kind of a double whammy for us because uh, I've I've never talked with a coach who's coaching in Pennsylvania, and I don't know if I've ever talked with someone who's from Maryland. I've talked to someone who played, um, let's see, it was a um, small college in Maryland, black and gold. Uh, help me out here. Uh, Bowie State. No, uh, not Bowie State. Maybe it's not in Maryland. Maybe I have the wrong school. Okay. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. We'll have to go back and uh, I'll have to go back and check that out. Maybe sometimes I'm, uh, I'm not great on my, my memory or my geography there but anyway all that aside glad to have you on so let's kick this thing off with you tell us a little bit about your background I know that you're you're, you're you consider yourself kind of one of those uh, football junkies and just a guy who's always loved coaching football so how were you first introduced to football and, and what made you want to become a coach in the first place yeah, for sure you know uh, a little bit late bloomer playing wise started uh, around seventh grade is you know when I first uh, got on the field uh, Got hooked ever, you know, got hooked ever since that moment. First play, you know, as a, you know, as a football player, got a sack on the quarterback and just kind of fell in love with that. Made sure I kept my pads down on that, uh, on that particular play right there. But, uh, you know, really inspired by my junior league head coach, Joe Aaron. And, you know, it was pretty cool having my dad out there coaching as well. So just having that family connection and just seeing the impact that the coaches at that level had on me and my teammates made me, you know, inspired me to want to, give back in that type of way later on in my career. So I knew ever since uh, that, you know, that first, uh, that first play out there that, you know, this is something I want to pursue and was uh, blessed enough to, you know, be a four-year letterman at Clear Spring High School, which is a small 1A school in the great state of Maryland. You already said the crab cakes and football, it's what we do, put all bay on everything. It makes it, uh, makes it all right at the end of the day. But uh, four-year letterman there, team captain and football and indoor track, uh, you know, I'm five foot seven offensive defensive lineman, so kind of new college wise. You know, 
my options were limited anyway. So after that, you know, after that playing career, I decided to uh, hang up the cleats, pick up a whistle and just kind of pursue this passion. Uh, fortunate enough, you know, to be uh, after our varsity practices, I'd always go down and help out the junior league teams that, you know, I just left. And, you know, so that, you know, those moments really reaffirmed that, hey, this is something I want to do and something I want to keep on pursuing. And, you know, upon graduation from high school, went to a local private school in Hagerstown, Maryland. Uh, it's called St. James School, which uh, John Metchie from Alabama, he's an alum of that school, got to coach him for two years while I was there. Uh, the cool part about St. James School, it's a boarding school. So I end up, you know, we end up coaching guys from eight different countries on that team. You know, some guys were elite talents in their country. Some guys never even saw football before. So having that variety of, uh, you know, of student athletes there and all those guys end up going to college. We had a hundred percent, you know, college acceptance rate. So just knowing those guys left that school, not only, you know, picking up some athletic skills and all that, but end up going on and, you know, pursuing some pretty cool careers, including, you know, an opportunity at the NFL. Uh, that whole time while I was at St. James school was a full-time student at Shepherd university, which is a, very prominent D2 powerhouse during my time there being a rec and sports studies guy. You had a lot of coaches, you know, teaching classes on the side as well. So got really connected with uh, Ernie McCook, the current head football coach there, coach Monty Cater, who was a division two coaching legend. Uh, the time he retired, he was the active wing as coach in all the football at that time. And Josh Klein, the defensive coordinator between those three guys, you know, really, you know, connected with them and, and have inviting me to, Know, be a student coach with them and you know during that uh 2017 2018 seasons I was there you know I did the whole setting up the field uploading film doing laundry all that stuff that typical student coaches do but one you know the new thing they let me do was actually be on the field and help coach as well so you know I could have been a guy they just let be that you know student manager but they really you know they really instilled upon me you know the ability to coach on the field and forever grateful for that and Pretty cool. 2017, we ended up winning that MEC championship. Uh, ended up going to the Division II playoffs. Had some great players all over the DMV on that team and some guys who had NFL tryouts and NFL careers. And just to see, uh, you know, just to see where those guys have gone and the coaches who were on those staffs to see where they're at now. Just uh, a really unique set of individuals and just a really high caliber you know, human beings as well. And that's one of the things that's been blessed this whole time, just being around good people from, uh, you know, from the time at Shepard, went to be a defensive GA at Virginia Military Institute, a team that, you know, historically, you know, throughout, you know, throughout the history of football has kind of been, you know, on the downside of things. But Coach Scott Walkenheim's really done a great job turning that thing around with those guys. I know Pat Kuntz was on this, uh, on this podcast before bringing the juice that he always does. So uh, just, Yet again, the common theme has been I've always been around good people on top of good coaches. So uh, able to be, uh, you know, able to have the best record that season in 40 years for VMI, got staff of the year in the Southern Conference and, uh, you know, really got to work, you know, hand in hand with Coach Tom Clark, defense coordinator there, helping with the film breakdown, especially that uh, was kind of my baby during that time. Uh, blessed enough at 23 years old to go on to Hiram College where Jack Rosinski uh, brought me on to be a defensive line coach, you know, learning a lot on the fly being that young and uh, we're on a room, but 
fortunately, as you know, we kind of brought on early in the podcast out of COVID year, so the opportunities to play games just didn't pop up. Our uh, conference didn't you know field field a season in the uh, spring or fall, so just focused on a lot of working on techniques, getting things right, and all that. But blessed, you know, blessed enough to have been there, been around great guys, great players, and then uh, fortunate enough to return to VMI again as an offensive guy. Know, got to join the dark side, I call it, but uh, you know, got to re, you know be a part of uh, Coach Billy Kosh's offensive staff. Who, you know, they're some of the best in football, man. They uh, 26 in the country and uh, in total offense, and just really lit up that scoreboard by protecting the football, creating explosive plays, and using tempo to our advantage. And you know, all those you know, all those steps, all those journeys brought me to Earth Sinus right now, where fortunate enough for coach Gallagher and coach Deb to believe me enough to run this defensive line room and it's been a great spring so far and looking forward to uh, continuing to build on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so again, kind of like what you alluded to uh, just a second ago there with uh, being so young and, you know, when you got hired on at Hiram and then you're not being able to play a season. So you went back to, to VMI, but even now where you are now at Ursinus and you're in, like, like we talked about at the beginning of the, of the uh, conversation, you're at the, in the middle of spring ball What's that like, you know, being sort of handed the keys, so to speak, to your own room uh, at, at such a young age? Like, how do you go about sort of um, setting the standards for your position group and and kind of standing on your own two feet there as a coach? Yep. So one, the first and foremost of it is that I have a pretty good room right now of guys who take accountability in what they do. Uh, now, a lot of people who graduate from our science go on to get good jobs, so they understand the importance of taking care of their business in the classroom. But number one thing that I believe in wholeheartedly is that everything's done in love. So the you know, the way I get the most out players is letting them know that you know they can trust me. I'm there for them. I you know my I have an open door policy. One of the good things about you know living right off the of main you know living off the of main campus is that uh, I'm always around for these guys. So. Is continuing to build those relationships is huge. Uh, biggest thing I want to establish when I first walked in the room is creating a sense of pride in what we do. Pride's an acronym, so the P stands for passion. Defensive line, a tough position. You got to have passion for what you do to, you know, want to willingly take on double teams at times by guys who may outweigh you by 50 pounds consistently. Uh, you got to play relentlessly, whistle the whistle, run to the ball. Coach Dev, our defensive coordinator, said at the very beginning of spring ball, the mark of a good teammate how close you are to the football when the whistle blows. I wholeheartedly believe that. Um, another part of the relentlessness is no matter you know, what happens on the previous play, whether you get a sack, whether you get out of a gap, give up a gash, it doesn't matter what happened before. It's that next play, great, next play, great play mentality. Right? So don't care what happens, what happened before, it's going to happen after. I care about right now. I'm going to establish, right, reestablish the line of scrimmage, play in my gap, and if it is a pass transition to a, you know my pass rush moves, maintain my cage responsibility. Uh, next part about that, the eye is intelligence. Not only knowing what you do, but knowing, you know, knowing when to do certain things. Like anything to me, right? Penalty wise, any penalty that's a pre-snap or post-snap penalty, that's on us, right? We can control whether we jump off sides. We can control whether we shove somebody after play. The stuff in between, you know, the hands to the face when a long arm goes too high, that ends up being a judgment call by referees. And you can't always, you know, can't always win that battle. So 
just got to make sure that we take care of our business before and after the play, right? Put our team in position to be successful, not having a 15 yard penalty after we make a tackle for loss. Uh, dominance being that is just knowing when you put all those pieces together, to play with passion, to play relentlessly, to have the intelligence behind you. That's when you can start being dominant. That's when you can start attacking those key reads. Well, creating that knockback on the line of scrimmage, knowing how to, right knowing how to work or move on somebody using the leverage they give you and all, you know, ultimately makes you a better player. And a lot of those guys end up being more dominant when they put all those pieces together throughout their time, right. From freshman year, sophomore year, as they keep going, getting that playing experience. Finally, the ease execution, everything we do has a finish to it, whether it's a drill in practice, whether it's, you know, game to game goes back to play until the whistle blows. Everything we do has to have a finish mark of a good teammate is how close you are to the ball when a whistle blows. So I, I really like that, that, you know, that, that acronym. And I'm, I'm a bit, I'm big on, you know, making things rhyme or having, you know, acronyms like that is to help guys remember it and kind of uh, you can always go back to that, you know, when you're watching film and you can, you know, point something out on film and talk about relentless effort or, or having pride or whatever. And that's, that's, I think that's awesome. I think everyone has to have that. So for me, when I was, I, I still consider myself a pretty young coach um, but when I was first getting into it, I kind of relied heavily on what I had seen uh, from my own coaches, you know, kind of what I'd witnessed. And, and for a while, those first couple of years, try to just emulate them and, and almost be them. And you figure out pretty quick that that doesn't work. You got to be yourself. So who are some guys that you kind of have picked up some stuff from and borrowed some stuff from? And then how did you take that and make it your own? Yep. Uh, so kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, Pat Coons, the, uh, my high energy guy. Yeah, I think he. I think he's one of those guys that texts in all caps with like a thousand uh, exclamation points behind everything. In fact, oh, no. I know he does a little bit because I have texted him. You know, in regards to this podcast, but yeah, he definitely is high energy. No, he's he's the man. He's the man. He's done a. You know, he's done a great job everywhere he's been at. He's you know at JMU right now, and I know those uh those Dukes are going to kill it there. Uh, really, being around him, one you know on the defensive side of the ball, seeing how we attack things, right? Had an attack mindset, knowing, you know, knowing to play with the low pad level, use hands violently, right? He's big on that violence aspect of defensive line play. And you can't play defensive line without having a little bit of violence, a little bit of edge to you. So that's one of the things that, you know, I really picked up from him on top of all the technical aspects of it, the, you know, the, the load steps he was talking about, all the skin techniques, those different types of techniques that, I've kind of transitioned to our own work, you know, our own uh, language here. Uh, you know, A-plus guy, A-plus coach. Uh, kind of talked about, uh, Sam, you know, alluded to Sam Daniels, the uh, current D-line coach at Delaware. I was around him whenever uh, he was D-line coach at Shepard. He was a guy that, you know, really took me under his wing that 2018 season when I helped out defensive line there. Just, uh, you know, one, the, one of the best people I've been around just quality wise and just really showed that player aspect of, you know, that player coach relationship aspect players would go to him, not, you know, offensive players would end up being in that defensive line room at times, just talking with coach. And I think that also goes into being, you know, the importance of especially college coaches, just being able to recruit people. And to me, it's a lot like sales, you know, a good salesman sells themselves. Right. And on top of that, they sell themselves, but they also sell a product they believe in. So if you're going, you know, if you're coaching a school where you don't necessarily believe in the message the coach, the head coach is saying or believe in the culture, 
probably not going to be as effective on the recruiting trail. And that's why, you know, I picked a school like the Sinus, where I believe in the message Coach Gallagher is preaching for the overall program. Coach Dev is preaching for the defense. And also the fact we're a darn good school where I know that if football gets taken away from one of the student athletes, they're going to go off and still be successful regardless. And that's one of the lessons I got from uh, Coach Daniels, just the ability to connect with people. And uh, another guy that, you know, worked with and talked with a friend of the podcast, uh, Steve Jackson, good buddy of mine. Now he's, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep, that was a good buddy of yours as well. Uh, fun fact, when I was at uh, St. James School in Hagerstown, he was the coach at uh, South Hagerstown High School. So I actually met him at one of the Nike Coach of the Year clinics for the first time. And you now a couple of years later, we're both, you know, we end up coaching against each other last year. Me as the, you know, GA at BMI on offense and him as the D-line special teams coordinator at Davidson. So going to see where uh, where football takes you in the sole grand scheme of life. but. You know, those three guys are guys I've talked with, you know, throughout my, you know, throughout my time and especially defensive line wise are guys who I really lean on, but on, you know, not on, you know, not besides, you know, not just uh, defensive line play wise, but just overall recruiting aspects and, you know, personal aspects as well. They're three A plus human beings and really good defensive line coaches. Yeah, no doubt. I can attest that on two of those guys. And, and uh, like you, you talked about it, both of have been on the podcast and been uh, one of my favorite, two of my favorite guys to talk mm-hmm. to. Um, so you you touched on something there that that I, I like asking, especially younger college coaches about because I think this is this is always so fascinating to me is, you know, when you get into coaching, uh, especially coaching college, you know, you've had you can you can learn the X's and O's and you can learn the scheme, but to me the the thing I think that's that's is crazy is how do you know, uh, how do you know how to recruit? Like who does a coach sit you down? Do they, they push you through something? Do you just kind of learn from watching? And, and is it just as simple as, Hey, you build relationships with kids. Like how has that been for you? And what's that been like trying to, to figure that out as a young coach? No, great question. It's, you know, it's kind of a learning experience every time you go to a different spot because every staff kind of has their own, you know, step-by-step process of how they do things. Uh, biggest thing, you know, I've, I've, you know, been, I'm an observer. I like to see how other people do things and talk to recruits. Sam Daniels does a great job with it. And that's one of the guys I learned from and uh, just, you know, casting a big net because at the end of the day, you're going to have more no's than yeses, but you want to make sure the yeses are guys that you think are going to fit this program. Not, you know, not only on the football field, but also going to carry that over into the weight room, into the classroom, not be a distraction. So, uh, what I try to do is make sure not only do I establish a connection with the player one-on-one, make sure I get, you know, have conversations with their family as well, get to know their parents, grandparents, whatever the family dynamic is, the head coach as well. When I go in person in schools or just through social media, phone calls, texts, anything like that, the, you know, the play, a head coach shouldn't find out they get an, a player got an offer from you the player like that to me I feel like that should be a conversation had with the head coach beforehand like hey we're interested in this kid what are your thoughts on him because you know you got to figure you know you got to do your research on kids like you have to do your research and one of the things I like to do is if I'm in school and I can talk to a guidance counselor I like to talk to guidance counselor too like hey what you know what kids really 
you know, step up in their campus, you know, the school community, what kids kind of give you the most headaches when you're trying to schedule classes and things of that nature for them. So just trying to do your due diligence on kids and one, just make sure when you do establish those connections, they know you're somebody who, you know, you're, who's looking out for their best interests at the end of the day. I feel like uh, you can't be, you can't be a used car salesman with this goes back to what we we're talking about a couple of minutes ago, got to sell products you believe in and make sure that, you know, at the end of the day, it's a place that if a kid chooses here, they're going to be successful long past, long past their playing days. You know, at the end of the day, we all had, you know, we all hang up the cleats at one point. I, you know, I kind of decided when I hung up mine, some players don't get to choose that. So just making sure you establish those connections to where they know that you're cared, they're cared about far beyond just their playing ability. Yeah, I am. Um... Really, my only perspective on this, I, I started coaching in Mississippi, but I've spent most of my time in Texas. And so just knowing how things kind of work down here and then really just generally in the South, um, what's what's it like recruiting up there? And again, I know you've kind of been around in different areas of the country in Virginia, uh, now in Pennsylvania um, and at other places. What's what's it like recruiting that area? I think are you do you recruit the DMV? Is that where you are mostly or? Yep. So uh, main main recruiting area outside the state of Pennsylvania is the DMV area, which glad to be back home again. But uh, uh, in Pennsylvania, going to recruit that South Central PA region. So, you know, Capital Harrisburg, Lancaster counties, those uh, those areas. And uh, so like so for us, so again, down here coaches they come in they I think generally they don't at least and this is for our school this isn't I mean everyone's kind of mm -hmm. set up differently but like for us the 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 field house is not in the school so the coaches don't really have to it's not like they have to go into the front office and get a visitor pass they can basically bypass all that and come down to the coach's office talk with coaches if they you know if they want to meet with a kid they can we can we can call them down or if they just want to talk with the coaches or just come out and watch workouts it's a pretty I think, I mean, from my perspective, a pretty easy process for those guys. How, what's it like up there? Do you have to kind of jump through some hoops to see kids or uh, is that a pretty easy thing to do? Uh, you know, it's a, it's a school by school basis coach. It's a, uh, you know, I was talking to a school day who has a director of football operations and you know, that process is going to be smoother than the school where I'm going to have to get, get the badge we're talking about and sit in a waiting room for a little bit and get cleared. So you kind of, you kind of go through all the, uh, all the varieties and, you know, just got to realize, you know, what, you know, what uh, kind of audience you're dealing with. Some schools, you know, head coach might not even be in the building. So I know uh, one school in Pennsylvania, I recruit, I'm going to have to kind of go to another school where he's teaching at. So just being able to understand, you know, those, uh, those different di dynamics of it, uh, you know, I think in a lot of ways, uh, a lot of respect to what, how you guys handle business in Texas, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, a lot of schools in Pennsylvania do it, you know, have a lot of the similar trademarks. I think PA is one of the best states for football, you know, besides my bias of Maryland being the best state, but uh, I get it honest there. But, uh, you know, a lot of schools in the DMV and Pennsylvania do it right. And they know how to, they know how to take care of college coaches coming in because those areas are really heavily recruited. So. They understand how the process goes where some other states that may not normally be historic for, you know, being hot spots for coaches to fly out or drive out, you know, may not have those same understandings. But, 
you know, the I'm, I'm very lucky in some aspects to be recruiting DMV and Pennsylvania because of, you know, the how accessible coaches are and all that and other aspects got a got a lot of competition too, but you know, ready, ready to get the right kids here. So fired up for that process. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's let's talk now about your team specifically. Uh, you guys are in the middle of spring ball. What's been a, a big point of emphasis for you and your guys uh, up to this point in the spring? Yep. So the number one thing, kind of D three wise, uh, one of the transitions has been you know in the past we've had no helmets and shoulder pads to work with. This one we've actually been able to wear helmets and shoulder pads for some practices. For the practices we can have. You know, the upper is on, the rest are helmets. So a uh, little bit different dynamic uh, with that. Uh, you know, helmet practices are really, you know, more teaching base. You can have a little bit of contact and shoulder pad practices, but, you know, we're not doing face and hand drills. We're not doing any of that heavy, you know, heavy duty hitting or anything of that nature. Really, everything's been more, you know, instruction based, making sure that uh, number one thing I've been telling the guys, the spring has just been sharpen your sword, know what you're doing and show that you can do it at a high, you know, at a high caliber and with great effort. So just focus on working on what our key reads are, which, uh, you know, our read key is going to be the guy we're lined up on, making sure we get that hand placement on that sternum and cuff. The uh, pressure key is that guy who can possibly take over the double team. Your movement key is when you're angling, taking a 45-degree step or long stick and taking a lateral step, knowing that that's your new you know, that's your new read key, making sure we get hands on him. So really just working on getting those feet, you know, getting our feet right, getting our hands right, getting our hips right, all the key aspects that uh, work, you know, that leads the defensive linemen be, being successful. Uh, you know, uh, different drills we do, stands and starts like everyone does. We're fortunate to have a shoot so we can keep that pad level low. Uh, working on strikes, right, whether it's uh, different type of explosions with it or whether it's rapid fire strikes on bags or uh, six-point explosions, four-point explosions, making sure our hips are right. Uh, other aspects we do, I have a – we have a uh, – you know, we take a period every day just to work over, like, a pass rush move of the day. Obviously, what we want to have is guys really have, you know, the one to two moves that are their main moves and then probably have counters off of those. But not trying to you – know, we don't have the time of Aaron Donald has to work on a thousand different moves. We want to get good at – get good at what we do and what we have the ability to be successful at. So just taking time to you know walk through different moves of that nature, move of the day. Uh, and finally, the big, you know, the other aspect, just working cage techniques. So kind of alluded to that, just making sure our rush lanes are good. So uh, how I treat the cage is you have high cage players, typically the outside rushers, right? So defensive ends predominantly in base rush. So they play the back shoulder of the quarterback. Can't get past that level. Can't get too wide. Got to make sure we play that back shoulder. And the low cage players to, and base rush going to be defensive tackles, playing that front shoulder, making sure that quarterback can't step up in the pocket. So literally putting a cage on that quarterback, condensing that pocket in, not allowing them to move. Uh, those, you know, those rush lanes can kind of, you know, those can, can be altered naturally with, uh, you know, stunts, games that we can do up front. So just manipulating those with, Call different calls. So just making sure that's how we end practice every day, just having that cage drill. So any type of pressure we put in that day or any type of stunt or movement we do, just making sure we work the base rush with that, focusing on that, you know, the front shoulder, back shoulder, the quarterback, 
and then working that transition. If a tackle you know, is looping outside, now he has to play that back shoulder and that defensive end knifing in has to play, you know, has to play that front shoulder with the looping guy playing that back shoulder. Yeah, I think, um, you know, repping that is so important because we've all been there where it's third and long, uh, defensive end maybe. Uh, they're usually the ones that are guilty of it, have a great rush, and they rush mm -hmm. past the level of the quarterback. Quarterback steps up, and he either scrambles or he steps up and able to complete a pass and pick up the first down. And I know for me, as a D-line coach, like that's the most aggravating, frustrating thing because, you know, you work all the time for situations where it's obvious passing situations. Like, we love that as D-line coaches. And then when you do that, you let a quarterback off the hook like that because you're not disciplined and you're just running upfield. That's really, really frustrating. Or if a, um, you know, an interior guy vacates his gap or just kind of mm -hmm. tries to do his own thing, that's all very frustrating. So I, I want to go back to something you talked about. You know, I, we can get into the cage stuff more later if, if that comes up, but I want to talk about yeah. this. You talked about how, you know, you have to do a lot of your stuff without pads on right now. And I know for us, when we start, you know, in, in the fall, then some of us are, are doing spring ball here where we'll be padded up. But you have to do so many days without pads on. And that's cool the first day, right? But then the second and third day, it gets really, really stale really quick. So what have you done to sort of keep things interesting or to keep things from, from getting stale without your guys when you're practicing without pads? Yeah, I know that one has to be the attitude coming in, right? You got to make sure it's a, a good attitude out there with guys ready to go. So it starts with, you know, starts with that the personality up front with me and uh, Coach Lampard, who helps out with our defensive line, helps works with the ends. He's got he's got one of those infectious personalities to where uh, he keeps the guys in good mood, but going into practice, just make sure we vary the drills. So we don't try to do the same, you know, the same drills every single day, obviously going to focus on the same fundamentals, but just kind of switching up. Hey, you know what? Today we're working on how to feed a double team with, you know, versus the, versus the bags. And this one we're working on a uh, different type of movements and stunts and all that. So just trying to keep, you know, keep variety with it get the hand fights going on now, some stuff it's called everyday drills for a reason because you do it every day, but trying to, you know, vary it out by, you know, switching some aspects of the technique. So, uh, you know, hoop drills are, hoop drills are good. Sometimes we do, you know, when we do hoop drills, focus on the bend. Sometimes we'll use a hand crayon to work a move on. Sometimes we won't. I uh, found that uh, we had a player at Shepard one time who every time he got off the ball, he automatically chopped down and we found out, you know, in high school when they were doing those hoop drills, every time they snapped the ball, a coach threw the crayon out. So what did he do? Automatically chopped. So it became muscle memory at that point where he ended up having a waste of movement every time because he chopped it air. So just focusing on, you know, making sure we limit those by, you know, not just doing stuff repetitively to where, you know, to where they become robots. You have defensive line in a lot of ways is a big feel process. We got to feel, the blocks we're getting, we got to react off of that. But uh, it is fun. We have those uh, full pad days. We can do a little bit more, you know, a little bit more strikes and all that stuff. So coach has done a really good job of, you know, separating how practice is structured. So we do get those days where you get a little bit more juice out there. But, you know, you got to create your own energy at times, especially, as you said, it gets a little dry out there with uh, helmets only. But it's good. You know, it's good to just uh, keep focusing on competition and, yeah, again, when we go back to everything has a finish to it, just try to create competition in all those drills that we do. Yeah, I think you just nailed it right there that that <clears throat> incorporating some sort of competition 
especially in those early days when you're just in t-shirts and, you know, helmets or, or, or whatever, um, that, that being able to make something a competition, you know, whatever it is, just a normal, one of your everyday drills that you do all the time, somehow adding that competition element can really spice things up and make guys lock in and focus and, and to keep them just from going through the motions. I know one of our big ones was, um, you know, the hand strike. And even without pads, we have our guys kind of clasp their hands together and hold them up by their, by their cheeks so we can strike those forearms and, and just uh, having a competition of who could strike their hands fastest and, you know, just do things like that to kind of uh, make it, uh, make it a little bit interesting. And, and, and so that was fun. What well, you talked about too, about, um, you know, your, your everyday drills and some of those things you do every day. What are some of your favorite everyday drills that you'll take your guys through? Yep. So starting off, the first thing we'll do is uh, we'll have a tackling circuit for defensive tackles where, you know, we're starting up in that fifth position. We're, you know, simulating that we're already on our EP with the, uh, with the hand inside hand on the sternum, outside hand on the cuff, training that knockback, keeping those feet active, having our head in our gap. And then we'll have, you know, the tackling donut that we have, roll it into our gap in that lockout, disengage, tackling through. If not, roll in the opposite gap, hey, peek the head, ball declares, disengage, opposite gap, make a tackle. That's one of those, just making sure, hey, we're sharpening our sword with, you know, knowing what our read key is, getting that lock on, keeping our hands, hips, and feet active, and then making a play, you know, making a play off that back read. So keeping the eyes engaged, the eyes of, you know, the eyes of any position I feel are the hardest thing to coach up in a kid regardless of the position. So just working on making sure those are sharp. Uh, at that point, we go on to, uh, you know, go under the shoots, try to work on different things. So attack, you know, our attack stance. So getting that first step, replacing the downhand, you know, second step, gaining ground, being able to react off the key read, uh, work angle steps or taking a 45-degree step, dip, rip, grab, grasp, that second step, working to the heels of the guy, you know, heels of the uh, – the adjacent offensive lineman we're moving to, uh, long stick, keeping the feet balanced, you know, using that push-push mentality to, you know, work laterally into the other gap as we're gaining ground. Just all those different, a lot, you know, all those different stances and movements out of the shoot. Just work on those every day. Just, you know, you can't do enough of that. Can't, you know, can't work the feet enough. Uh, hoop drills big, focusing on the bend, the hips. And one thing offensive tackles especially don't like to do is bend with the all, you know, bend with the defensive lineman. So just focus on making sure we get that good bend, get those good hips turned. Uh, we end up doing a hand fight drill every day. So I end up, you know, I have a, a special teams, you know, special team circuits we've been doing. I go over and help out with those. And Coach Lampart works hand fighting. So uh, working on fighting the pressure points. So pressure points to me are any part of an offensive lineman that can bend. So the wrist, the elbow, the shoulder. Just working on fighting that. So clearing the hand off, you know, cupping, clubbing the elbow, you know, working the, uh, you know, working that up, pull the sweet spot on the shoulder, just working different techniques. So that way, when we're in live game situations, we know what to grab, how to move, use forklifts and all that stuff. I think that's all great stuff. And, and um, it's one of those things that if you're, if you're not hitting those skills daily, then, then, you know, it's really hard to uh, get mad at your guys when they screw that stuff up, you know, because we can take for granted the the hand fighting or the escaping off of blocks and, you know, just kind of say, hey, dude, like, get, get off a block. I mean, you know, uh, but if we're if we're not uh, executing that and taking them through that on a 
on a daily basis, then it's really, that's really, really on us. Um, I know for me, for a, a big part of my early days as, as a coach, I would find a drill that I, that I liked, you know, maybe I was listening to you talk on a podcast and I heard you talk about a drill. I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm going to do that Monday. And then I would see one on YouTube or I would pick one up from a clinic. And so I would just kind of do all these drills, but without any kind of progression, right? Like no sort of linear, all right, we're going to start here. And then the goal is to wind up here. And I think that's super important that you have drills, but they're done in the, in the right context, that you're not just out there doing a drill because you saw it on a clinic. What's your progression? Like, how do you start, you know, day one with your guys, you know, um, what's letter A, and then how do you progress on through? Yeah, no, great stuff. So first off, I think everything has to start with the stance and start. So and, and everything builds off that. So working to make sure we have a you know good balance in our stance, good base, making sure we are able to take those steps, all that. Then we transition into just working on our strikes, right, making sure our hand placement's good, that understanding of that read, read key, pressure key that we were talking about, this help, you know, working the eyes, right? Working the eyes, making sure we can react off the different blocks we get. So just having those guys line up and just simulating, hey, block two versus block away versus high hat, just understanding that progression and how it changes from an interior lineman versus an outside, right? An outside, uh, you know, an outside technique, an end or, end or outside backer who has to condense down with the way blocks and really maintain, you know, outside C-gap. So, all kind of starts right with the basic understandings and then we build towards the, okay, so we have the, what we're doing, how we do it with the strikes, hand placements, steps, all of that, the footwork aspect of things, the strike aspects, the movements, the stunts. And then we go to, uh, you know, continue to sharpen the sword with, uh, you know, the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sharpening the swords just with, uh, you know, continuing to work the hoop drills, getting the hip bends, all that stuff. And then, you know, going into blitz period with our uh, linebackers, just working on knowing, hey, now we know the stance. Now we know the hand placements. Now we know, you know, all the steps were taken. Now we're executing the actual play. So big on, hey, this is a starting point. End point's going to be executing the actual play. And the drills in between, just working on making sure the hand, the hand techniques go, you know, the hands go to the right place. The eyes are going to the right direction, right? And the hips, hands, and feet are all kind of you know, working in you know, working in succession with each other. Yeah, that's that's uh that, that's great. And 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 those are all skills that again, like you got to be hitting on a daily basis. And if you start to neglect those and you think because a lot of all those things are things that that are really easy to skip over, right? Like to mm -hmm. move on to the kind of the uh the sexier parts of 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 D-line play, I guess. But those, if you don't have those things, then your guys aren't going to be successful. Well, let's talk about, you've already alluded to and, and talked about a little bit with the cage technique stuff. You know, everyone has kind of their own way of coaching pass rush. You know, we all uh, want to wind up in the same spot, which is at the quarterback. But how we do that, it, it varies sometimes coach by coach. and Everyone has their own philosophy and spin on it. So what's your philosophy when it comes to coaching pass rush? First of all, pass rush starts with a good first step has to gain ground on that first step. Anytime, you know, anytime we really lag behind having a too wide or too narrow of a first step, not going to be able to really work a move. That guy's going to get a jump on us. Outside guys, we really want to focus on beating like ends and you know ends outside backer types when we're getting that rush. 
high cage rush. We want to make sure we beat the offensive tackle to a four-yard spot. Uh, you know, interior guys, we want to make sure we beat that uh, guard to a two-yard spot. And then the, uh, you know, and then the uh, anytime we have a zeroed-up nose working, just want to get that guy off the jump. Just working those techniques. So it so all starts with a good first step, good get-off, uh, real explosive. You mentioned, Coach, about just – especially when we know the pass situation, right? That's when we can kind of set that toe to in-step face. We can really start to elongate that stance and we can really get a good first step rush. Uh, number one thing to me, um, you know, in the whole grand scheme of pass rushes, that high cage mentality, that high cage, low cage mentality, knowing, hey, this is the rush lane. This is a path I'm taking to the quarterback. And then it builds on, okay, what leverage am I getting? It's the offensive tackle. It's, you know, if I'm an and end, the offensive tackle kicking to me, is he overset me to the point where I can work underneath? Or is he so far under, I can still work a speed rush and, you know, a speed rush outside of him or some type of speed the power move if he does end up getting that, giving that chest late to me. Interior guys, uh, biggest thing I've been working on in pass rush-wise with my tackles and noses is, is understand where the slide's going. Did some studies with guys who, if you're on that slide side, relate more to the A-gap, you know, to help with, uh, one, to help if there is a draw situation, able to cut inside where, you know, they don't want you to end up cutting. They, you know, for draws and different type of quarterback stepping up situations, they want to create, like, they want to create separation between the two low-page players, get those guys as wide as possible, create that seam up. So having one guy, relate more towards an A-gap rush mentality, which is going to be in that uh, where the center's sliding to. So the one drill that we've been working on pretty consistently is having, you know, differentiating the slide side, man side. So if the center slides to you, relate more towards the center. If you're on that man side, center sliding away from you, you have a two-way go on that guard because he's, for the most part, manned up on you. Unless it ends up being a full slide scheme, but, you know, working on uh, working on more of the fundamental pass rush right now. So just working on uh, understanding that slide recon, I call it, and uh, just being able to keep that, you know, for interior guys, keeping that low shoulder in play, making sure we don't get the two guys get too far separated. We want to make sure that he's not able to step up in that pocket on us. Yeah, I think one of the things that, that especially guys that I've coached, they, they sometimes get screwed up in their mind is that it's on them alone to go get a sack. Right. Like that, that they're as a defensive end or as a three tech or like they're going to go get the sack. And so they approach it like they're a lone wolf out there hunting something. Right. And and I think the idea and what you're talking about is to, you know, hey, it's it's a it is a group effort. We're, we're hunting like a pack of lions here. You know, everyone's working together. You know, outside guys are making them step up inside guys are making sure where he doesn't have a whole lot of room to step up. And, and then someone is going to he's going to have to step up somewhere and someone's going to reap the benefits of that. And I think, it, but if it's if it's just me, if I'm just a defensive end, and I think it's all on me, then I'm going to do stupid stuff like maybe dip inside or rush past the level of the quarterback, or um, spin when I shouldn't spin, because I feel like it's all on me, and I'm and now I'm I'm kind of screwing the other three, two or three guys, whoever, whatever kind of front you're running. Uh, so I, I think that's a a really great point to emphasize is this cage mentality and this this idea that yeah you have to work together in order to get a sack. Yep, it's a it's a team effort, right? It's all eleven guys doing their part on defense and part up front and pass situations. We gotta make sure, you know, if we don't get a sack, we at least gotta put pressure on there. 
and we kind of make sure that we don't turn a you know an average play into a great explosive play for the offense by giving up that cage mentality and or you know just letting you know letting our teammates out to dry by doing something dumb as you were mentioning coach yeah for sure well let's talk about some some division three football uh for a second now we have some really really great uh, d3 schools here in texas and so uh, I have had several of those coaches on the podcast and several guys who've played D- Division Three football who all uh, speak very fondly of it, actually coach with a lot of guys who play Division Three football. So, uh, But when it comes to coaching that level of football, what's one of the best things uh, or advantages about coaching small college football? Now, one of my favorite things about coaching small college football is the connection you get on campus. Uh, you know, having the ability to have those smaller class sizes, just being on a smaller campus, you know, players are pretty much, for the most part, your players are going to go off and not be lost in the shuffle of having to deal with a class that has 200, you know, 200 kid lecture hall. It's predominantly, you know, our class ratio can be anywhere from, you know, 17 to like 13, you know, in most classes. So just making sure, you know, those guys are taken care of. But staff-wise, you know, you have a lot of guys who wear hats, who wear different hats, and, you know, some people can view that as a negative thing. I think positive of it is you learn great time management skills. You know, hey, you know, I'm, have film, you know, I have a film duty. I got to make sure the cameras are up there. I got to make sure afterwards the film's uploaded, all that stuff on top of, you know, making sure my D-line means prepared, you know, prepared and ready to go for that next, uh, for that next meeting. And I'm talking to the recruits and coaches I need to talk to that night. So. I think it does a great job of learning how to maintain not only, you know, the football, you know, the football coaching side of things, but you also have to manage your own person, you know, your own personal life in the, in the times outside of it. So I think it's great for teaching, you know, especially for younger coaches. I think it's, you know, I, I would highly recommend if you try and get in the college game, start at a smaller level, get the, you know, do the grunt work, do the little things, do the, do the laundry, do the uh, set up the field, do the, film upload breakdown and all that stuff because it's going to help you later on because a lot of you guys can do X's and O's, but a lot of guys aren't willing to put in the hard work to coach college football at that big level. And uh, I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hidden gems here at the, at the uh, smaller D3, D2 NAIA levels where, you know, there's a reason why if you go on football scoop, you see this guy got, you know, certain guys end up getting certain jobs and the work ethic they put in, where they're at. And that's what a, a big, you know, a big principle I got from my time at VMI was having 10 toes down where you are, you know, do the best job, you know, do the best job you can. And I think that's for any level, but for smaller schools, especially you have a, you know, you have the, uh, you know, kind of the cool aspect of, you know, a lot of, a lot of these players may do other sports. They may do clubs that you can be a part of. So they kind of have a, separate life where it's not football 24 seven. And that's a cool thing to be around. Like I had a defensive lineman who uh, had a uh, choir concert, you know, last weekend. And that's something that's, you know, you may not get at bigger schools where those guys don't have time to really explore other interests. So you have players who get a chance to really, you know, express themselves more at a different level. You have coaches who get a chance to, you know, learn how to do different things on top of just drawing on a whiteboard and, making video documents and breaking down film. So I think it's a cool experience. I think it's, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, you have a lot of guys who don't get a chance to get a, you know, get a unique opportunity to 
play college ball, which not a lot of guys get a chance to do, and uh, do it at you know do it at a school that really you know feeds into uh, the passion for the athletic programs. What's the um, maybe most unusual thing that you've had to do, or maybe been asked to do that you're like, I can't believe that I'm doing this. Like, I'll, I'll start. I'll give you an example. This was just a few weeks ago. Um, we had some kids who needed new pole pole vaults or poles for, for pole vaulting for the, our track team. And uh, we found some and they were about two and a half hours away in a little bitty town in Arkansas. And so me and another coach, that's what we did on a Monday. We got in the truck. We drove the two hours. We picked these, these poles up. We loaded them up in the truck, which is, I don't know if you ever had, if you ever seen or transported pole vault poles, but they're, they're, uh, it's not as easy as just throwing in the bed of the truck and, and rolling. And so I, I kind of thinking, I'm like, I can't, I didn't know, you know, 48 hours before this, that this is what I was going to be doing on a Monday, but it's just kind of one of those things, you know, um, where, whether it's working a concession stand or yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. laundry is, is not, I wouldn't say that's, that's that unusual thing. We all do laundry, but you know, there's always those kind of things. It's like, man, I, I did not think that I would ever be doing this as a football coach. Do you have any of those type of things that you've had to do? Yep. So the the best one that comes to mind was that 2018 season at Shepherd. It was uh, late after one of the uh, late night practices. Me and Coach Daniels were uh, <laughs> we were in the field house, and you know we didn't have a ball and a stick. So you know, just going off foot movements, going off hats. You know, I'd be on. You know, I'd be down snapping, you know, snapping the ball manually. And coach said, no, forget this. We're going to, we're going to make a ball and a stick. So we ended up, we had a field hockey stick, an old deflated football, some duct tape, and like some, uh, you know, some of the foam that you would spray into a place that would be an adhesive. So we stayed there that night and we, you know, sprayed the ball, taped it up and ended up making a ball and a stick. So didn't think, uh, you know, didn't think I'd be an engineer type guy at that point, making that ball stick, but was at a spring ball practice uh, a couple weeks back at Shepherd, and the uh, new defensive line coach there was using that ball on the stick that Coach Daniels and I made at that uh, one random uh, at one random late night practice. So that's <laughs> yeah, I think that's like a D line coach rite of passage is to make your own ball on a stick. I I um. I've, I've made a, f- a few and then we ended up breaking down and buying the kind, you know, you can buy them now. And we had an old coach, uh, kind of like what you're talking about, uh, who had, who had, would, had been a varsity coach. And, and actually I think used the one that, that, or I was using the one that he had made kind of like what you were talking about. And we finally broke down and bought a fancy one. And mm-hmm. of course he didn't like it and called us soft. And, um, but yeah, I think that's something that every probably D line coach has done and, uh, once or twice is, is uh, make your own ball on a stick. Okay, we talked about advantages of coaching in a small college. What are some of the challenges that you face coaching in a small school? Uh, you know, just trying to, you know, uh, one thing here is uh, we have, you know, we have a ton of volunteer coaches and the unfortunate part of that, it's great to have them. It's great that they're always around, but just not having those guys during the day, right? So we're talking about something and then, you know, then we kind of have to work on the fly with those guys as soon as they get here, which you know, for the most part, it's been great. We've, you know, able to, it goes back to being able to communicate effectively, get the things that need done, done. Uh, you know, just not having the big, you know, the big staff size where, you know, I uh, had a couple of buddies who said, oh yeah, no, the uh, recruiting coordinator, you know, set up our flights and itineraries and made our, uh, 
made our arrangements for running the cars and stuff. And I'm like, all right, that's uh, stuff that we have to do on our own. So not having not having the thousands of coaches out there to, uh, you know, do the different jobs and have the different, you know, recruiting departments and all that stuff. It, you know, it goes back to, you know, just more work that you, you know, that we have to do as coaches on the staff. But at the end of the day, it's great that, you know, you get to learn that time. Man- you know, it's for a young coach, it's great to have those, uh, you know, opportunities to learn time management skills effectively and, you know, learn different tricks and tips that are going to help me, you know, for the rest of my life, not just, you know, the, you know, stuff I've learned during my uh, student coaching at Shepherd, I'm using today to help, you know, help me manage my time better. So just different lessons learned there. Good, but, you know, it definitely helps to have, uh, have more of those resources to, you know, have, get, you know, have uh, more bodies on, you know, more bodies here, but it's, uh, it's all good. It's all yeah. Good, yeah, for sure. Well, it's kind of like, and, and I knew I kind of figured it would go this way the advantages of coaching at a small school are also the disadvantages because yeah, although you do get exposed to all these different things and you're wearing all these different hats, it would be nice to have somebody who could be like, Hey, can you get these flights for this clinic that we're going to for AFCA convention? Or uh, can you, you know, handle making graphics for uh, you know, this, this, whatever event we have going on. Uh, Can you help us promote this thing that we have that, but that, that, sometimes that coaches ended up doing it would be nice to have someone do that or, or whatever. But again, um, that's, that's kind of where the, the advantage part steps in because you learn to do some of that stuff. So w- when, again, younger coach, um, you've been around some great coaches that we've already talked about. What have been some of the biggest lessons you've learned as a coach up to this point uh, when it comes to, and I'll throw a few things out there, uh, but the, with the first one being, what are some been some of the biggest lessons you've learned when it comes to watching film? Watching film is uh, one of the things that really took a lot of, you know, took a lot of uh, time learning when I was at Shepherd initially. That was one of my main jobs. And the biggest thing I learned from you know, my time there was you have to be consistent with it. You know, it's uh, one of those things, have your process, make sure you know the way you break down film. So for me personally, whenever I'm breaking down opponents' offense, I start with, you know, I have to make sure all the guts, D&D stuff is in. All you know, all that extra stuff. Make sure it's correct too. Depending upon uh, where you get it, where you get the film from, have, might have to triple check it. But uh, uh, just starting off with, I always break down teams formation first, formation backfield motion, all that stuff first. Then I kind of subcategorize it. So I go, so I go straight to the formations, break down all the plays, you know, formation by formation. Try to see tendencies that way, and then I plug in the personnel. So then I see okay, well, if they're in this 10 personnel set with 11, what changes for them? So on and so forth. So that was one of the things I got from my time at Shepherd and really kind of hammered home while at VMI that year I was a defensive GA. I think it's important to always be consistent. If, you know, one of the things I learned, if something is put in wrong, it better be put in wrong, you know, all the way through. You can't call, you know, inside zone, power, counter, and all this stuff just down the line, make sure you're consistent with what you do. And a large part is not, you know, not rushing it, not trying to just check off boxes at the end of the day and getting stuff done. It comes from, you know, taking a lot of pride in what you do, because at the end of the day, the film that you break down for the most part is, you know, due to, you know, the most, for the most part, the purpose of breaking down that film is try to put the players in the best position when they end up playing those teams. So 
make sure you do a good job with that and be thorough with it, right? Be thorough with it. And then make sure that the data taken can be used to help you guys out when we're game planning. Yeah, I think that what you talked about with with having a process is huge because, you know, nowadays with, I don't know, whether you use Puddle or Visios or whatever, whatever you use, there's so much data there and so many things that you can look at and you can get down a rabbit hole really quick if you don't have, okay, no, here's where I'm starting. I'm starting with formation. Then we're going to get personnel groupings. I know for me, um, you know, again, I keep kind of referring back to my younger years, but you know, I just would watch film and you can watch a ton of film and still not know anything about the team you're playing, right? Because you're just kind of, you get caught watching the game or watching the ball or watching one player. I kind of liken it to um, back but before I had kids and I had hobbies, uh, you like to play golf and, you know, you go to the driving range and most of the time I'm just there, I'm just hitting balls, like no rhyme or reason, just pulling out, like, you know, go through my irons really fast so I can get to my driver and just try to smoke it, Right. Um, but you know, the guys who really know what they're doing, they have a process, like they're going to start with a wedge and they're going to, you know, practice this shot. Then they're going to work, you know, they, they know what they're doing. There's an end goal in mind. And I think it's the same with film is that you have to have your process down, you know, and, and, and follow that. Otherwise it's really easy to get off track and start chasing rabbits and, and, and really get yourself confused and overwhelmed. Yep. And that's a, that's the one thing you can't have happen, especially you know, when you have deadlines to meet and all that stuff, you can't end up getting tied down with that. And that's why I think once you put all those puzzle pieces together, then those tendencies start popping up more. And then you, when you run those reports, you can really confirm that type of stuff you see. But if you base stuff off of one game you watch, that's when you end up getting in those rabbit holes that you're talking about, Coach. So making sure you get more, you know, just make sure when we're out there watching film, just being more concise with all the stuff that we're watching and, you know, at the end of the day, trust the process. Yeah, and, and in that same vein, what have you learned about in-game adjustments? I think, you know, those are huge. And again, it kind of goes back to, I mean, that goes hand-in-hand hand what we're talking about with film because your in-game adjustments are based on what you've seen them do on film and you're kind of anticipating, you know, whether, you know, if whether it's at the half or it's between series, okay, based on what I've seen in film, this is what I think they're going to do, you know. So what have you learned about making in-game adjustments? Yep. So one, and, you know, first off, you kind of go into the game, trusting that, you know, trusting the breakdowns you have, but then you have to be ready to, you know, not necessarily throw it out, but be ready to make adjustments on the fly. So big part, I think, is just having whoever's in the box or whoever you have on the field, marking down what's happening, make sure they can separate it too. Kind of like I was mentioning, make sure, you know, Hey, we're in that, you know, offense is doing this and making, you know, offenses in this formation, They've been attacking, you know, this part of the field. How do we, how are we going to get that roll to that side, take away that coverage? Or hey, they're really attacking the uh, the two eye in the run in the run game right now. How can we make adjustments so they don't know, so they can't be tipped off on how we're setting our fronts, everything of that nature. So, large part of that I think just comes by doing a good job of recognizing play, you know, play by play, down and distance. Hey. These are these are the new tendencies we're getting during the game, making adjustments off of that. And a large part of that just goes to being able to be sound in what the game plan is going in and then having those uh, those deals in the back pocket for special situations and you know being able to you know dive deep and know uh, know, know, uh, you know based off the film breakdown, hey, these are some trick plays they have. 
these are some other situations, know the base down and distances of, hey, this is when they're what we call, you know, screen downs. A lot of teams like second along, that's when they like doing screens, see if those are consistent. So just making sure, you know, starting off the game, the first couple of series, see how, you know, see what their mindset is going in and then recognizing later on the game, hey, this is how they're attacking us. How do we make the adjustments off of that? Whether it's uh, in the coverage game, setting the fronts differently, sending different pressures, you know, using, you know, using uh, the resources that we have available in the press box and just taking notes up there with those charts. Yeah, those guys in the box are, are absolutely invaluable, uh, especially when it comes to making those in-game adjustments because it's just too hard to see sometimes from the sideline and things happen so fast. And so you got to have guys up there that you can trust. Well, Coach, a lot of great stuff today. But before we get you out of here, I do want to uh, want to uh, put you under the gun a little bit and uh, ask you some rapid-fire questions. So uh, you cool with that? Let's do it. Okay. Well, all right. You've already talked to or, ta- or mentioned that you're a proud – Maryland, I don't even know. Like I was Texan. What, what do you call it? People who are from Maryland. Hey, Marylanders, man. Marylanders. Okay. Marylanders. Okay. All right. So I'm, let's say, for instance, I'm I'm planning my summer vacation. Maryland is one of those potential spots I'm coming to. Sell me on the state of Maryland. Because if you're thinking about coming to Texas, I could sell you on the state of Texas. We could talk about Bart. We could talk about the food, the weather, the different cultures in the different parts, the things to see. So sell me on. I, you know, why I should come and visit Maryland. I've never been there. So, so sell me on it. Well, no coach. The number one thing I'm going to say is what do you want? Do you want the beach? You have the beach. You want to go to the mountains? You have the mountains. You want to go out to the country? You got the country too. You want the big city life? We got Baltimore for you. You got Annapolis for driving distance to DC. Anything you need, we check off all the boxes on top of having great seafood, having great, you know, having great, uh, Fast food choices, great local food choices. Anything you need, we got in the state of Maryland. And a little Old Bay makes everything better. I mean, you rattled that off like you like work for the state or something. I mean, that's that was pretty impressive. There were no ums and uhs. I mean, it was all with some conviction. So I think you've uh, you've got me sold now. There needs to be a trip to Maryland in my future. So since we're on the state of Maryland, I have to ask this question. If I was coming to your hometown, we're going – uh, back to to where you grew up. Where are we going to eat? Where what what are the places you're taking me? Oh man, so there's uh depends on the type of food you're feeling. If you're feeling Chinese, there's a little spot called Number One Chinese. That's the as a consistent go to, and you know it lives up to the name. A lot of places like that don't, but Number One Chinese is that spot. There's a Mexican restaurant just opened up, Los Amigos. Got to make sure that. Uh, it gets the Texas seal of approval. Want to make sure we can get that going on because I yeah, feel like I'm ske- I gotta say I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. Steer me to the seafood. Let's do. Let's let's. Where are we getting All some right. crab cake? Right. Where are we getting now, some seafood? Now I'm getting the last hidden gem, and this is the hidden gem. This is the most hidden gem. It's called Rubes. Right, it is a seafood place in Emmitsburg, Maryland. A lot of people drive past it, don't see it, but it's a bit. You know, it's a little kind of hole in the wall type establishment where they have the best fast blue crabs. Got the Joe's seasoning on it, which is similar to Old Bay seasoning. Got the good large sizes, which actually has a great crab meat in it. It's the it's the A plus spot, and that's okay. what. So okay. You ever make your way up? You ever make your way up to my place, Coach? We'll make sure we take you out there. Rubes. Okay, I like it. I like it. All right, so let's um let, let's go back to to football here now. Um, you are a a, a younger coach. Um, what's your 
playing surface of choice? Are you a grass turf guy? What, what do you prefer? Oh man, you can't, you can't beat the, you can't beat the grass. You can't beat the grass, the feel of that. Um, unless it is a rainy day, in which case you can beat it, but I'm a, I'm a big grass guy. Yeah. I was talking with somebody yesterday actually about we're, we're standing on a turf field at a track meet. And I said, you know, nothing beats a, a really well manicured grass mm -hmm. field. You know, turf is nice. It's it, like you talked about, it. it's nice in bad weather or after bad weather, you don't have to think about, are we, you know, is it too wet to get out there? But when you have a, a really nice, well manicured grass field, I think that that's, that's pretty tough to beat. Um, when it comes to game days, are you superstitious, not superstitious? Do you have rituals? What's, what's going on there? I'm a little stitious. I'm a little stitious coach, but uh, I make sure I kind of get the same. Uh, I make a playlist every year, and I make sure I put down the playlist. I put the playlist on uh, pregame in the uh, – you know, in the earbuds and play, you know, have that going. Uh, depends on the year. It's going to be uh, more of a summer project every time, kind of get different music, start off with the, uh, you know, a little bit slower stuff. And then as the game, as we get closer to the game time, before we start getting to the warm-up drill, it starts building up, building up. So it can go uh, all, all over the place. If, uh, you know, if we win the week one, probably going to see me wear the same, uh, same, uh, you know, shirt and shirt and pants combo. But, now just a little stitches, coach. I got you, and I, and I get the uh, subtle office reference there uh, in that. Um, okay, so when um, we're in the offseason, everyone's looking for a way to get better, um, looking at ways to improve themselves. I know you're a fan of this podcast, which is awesome. Uh, what are some other things that you do? Is, it a, is there a book that you've read? Is there another podcast that you've listened to or a speaker you've seen? Uh, what are some things you've done this off season or picked up this off season that you would share with us? Uh, so number one thing I like to do is I like to go out and, you know, I like to go out and visit different campuses and, you know, different coaches, whether, you know, not always time, not always is it going to be a, even a college coach. Sometimes just going, there's a lot of local, a lot of local talent that uh, at the high school ranks and at different schools that you know, are great guys to bounce ideas off of uh, you know, a big fan of the, no, uh, of, uh, the coach, all the coach vast podcasts, the offense and defensive one, make defense great again. Uh, as I mentioned, coach, big fan of, fan of the KYPD, uh, it's been helping me out. Uh, but mainly just using the resources I have and using, you know, Twitter and all the different thousands of, uh, you know, thousands of different, uh, coach courses that have been popping up on, uh, coaches planks, virtual ones. Uh, Lauren first and goal has been a really good one. I'm glad they've, uh, gone virtual and one it not only raises uh you know raises awareness for a great cause but really promotes a lot of great coaches out there who put out some great content so really been big on the virtual game but also big on just trying to go out and network with new coaches who I don't know and coaches who uh you know coaches who I've known for years you can always learn always keep growing for sure. When I'm, a, I'm going to throw you a curveball here to close this thing out. This is not a question I've asked before. So I uh, hope you're ready for it. I think you can handle it. Uh, if we were to line up your coaching staff, okay, um, on the track, we're going to run a 40-yard a dash. Okay, how many coaches on your staff are you beating in a 40-yard dash? Oh, let's see. Well, my mindset says I'm going to beat all of them, but uh... – my uh, my legs that are built more for squatting than uh, 
and uh, speed say probably I'm going to beat the. Uh, you know, I'm going to no, I'm not going to say which which uh, <laughs> which which guys I'm going to beat, but I'm, I would say I'm going to get uh, beat three of them. I'll beat yeah. three of them. Look, I'm, I'm completely uh, transparent here. If I were answering that question myself, I mean, I would be middle of the pack at best. Yeah. Uh, middle of the pack at best. I, I, you know, we have some guys who are pretty fast uh, on our staff, or at least used to be back in their mm -hmm. day, and probably for one shot at a forty could still summon up enough, uh, you know, white muscle fibers to uh, to 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 be pretty fast one, at least for for that amount of time. So uh, anyway, yeah, maybe they all could do that some this spring and and uh, get the guys hyped up and pull a few hamstrings and maybe tear a couple ACLs, get the staff out there and, and race in a forty. Um, well, Coach, I just really appreciate you uh, taking some time and uh, sharing with us today. And want to wish you guys the best of luck in 2022. Coach, appreciate you. Hope to make it out of Texas at some point. See you. Absolutely. We love it. Thank you, Coach. Thanks again to Coach Menard for joining us today. Be sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Coach underscore Menard 55 at coach underscore M-E-N-A-R-D 55. And let him know you heard him here on KYPD. Also, make sure you're following us as well at KYPD Podcast. And if you want a much less interesting follow, then you can follow me uh, and I can be found on Twitter at Coach Taylor 53. And like always, if you're looking for a way to do a good deed today, then take a few minutes and give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. That goes a long way in spreading the word about our podcast here and helps validate my wife's decision to marry me, at least in the eyes of her parents. Too much? Too personal? Sorry. So, hey, point being, take a few minutes, leave a five-star rating, and blow up your boy on the reviews. Okay, our quote of the day comes from the Bible, the book of Psalms, chapter 40, verses 1 and 2, and it goes like this. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on solid ground and set me as I walked along. And that will do it for us today. Y'all have a great week and be good. And of course, whatever you're doing this week, always remember, keep your pads down.